This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. The Top Sport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you know you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, unlike the Owls, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So there's only one thing left to say, what's everybody having? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means you'll get some tasty rewards later on. And between you and me, if you order just before kickoff, you can get it just in time for half-time, but I've not told you that. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery free and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. See you later. The Wednesday Week is sponsored by the Riverside Cafe, the perfect place for a pre-match pint. Welcome to the Wednesday week, the Sheffield Wednesday podcast. Uh, I'm James. Um, now, if you listened last week, you'll know that it was our one-off special, Christmas special, with uh, James Allen of the Owls Americast, who's back in Sheffield over Christmas. Uh, well, here I am, sat once again with Mr. James Allen. Hello. Good evening. Um, this is, in my mind, this is the James and James epilogue. So if the chairman can have one, then so can we. Last week we were in uh, the beer house on Ecclesall Road. This week, slightly less glamorous surroundings of of my kitchen, uh, and that's because I have a major bout bout of the man flu at the moment. I've been under par for a couple of days, uh, and I didn't feel up to the pub. So um, apologies for sounding a bit snotty um, and sounding like I'm clearly reading from a script, which I am because I wrote one earlier because I thought my brain isn't working quite right. So I just need words in front of me to just say. Uh, and for this reason, I'm actually drinking lemon and ginger tea with honey, uh, which is very boring. Hopefully more interesting in uh, time on a fashion. James, what are you drinking? Um, I'm drinking the uh, the contents of your fridge while, yeah. you're, uh, while you're recovering. Um, it's beautiful surroundings of your uh, your washing and, uh, and Christmas detritus. So uh, what did you give me? You've given me a, a bottle of caffeine, quite literally. It is, it is um, a of it's a siren, siren uh, kettle sour with coffee. Um, and it's... Uh, it's delicious and it's slightly masky in the smell of uh, of newly uh, newly washed underpants, which is, uh, which is tremendous. And <laughs> um, I have, even though I'm not having any beer tonight, I have picked out your next beer for you, just so I could have a beer to talk about, uh, which is also a siren craft brew, which is called the Tickle Monster, which is a triple IPA with mango and cedar wood. Um, so I assume that will taste slightly fruity and a little woody. Um, so. so in the space of 30 seconds, we've talked about the Tickle Monster, something being a little bit woody, your underpants, <laughs> and, uh, and the fact that we've relocated to your kitchen. Uh, before anybody starts casting any aspersions, there's nothing dodgy about this podcast. I'm, uh, I'm very grateful to James for hosting me, so uh, looking forward to the conversation. Uh, we sat in the beer house exactly seven days ago, talking about what a whirlwind few days it had been. Boy, how little we knew then. <laughs> I think we were quite optimistic as well, weren't we? We were, yeah. Um it was, it was actually on the way back from Brentford on the train where we said, you know what, we should get together uh, and discuss everything that's happened since. We'll do, you know, one final podcast before you go off back to the States. And again, how little we knew then. <laughs> I mean, it is like, uh, we could have done a podcast pretty much every day, I think, over the last seven days and had something to um, to talk about. I'm right, I'm right in thinking that after today, you're, you're pretty much gone. You're back, you're off down to London and then you're back to the States. Yeah, exactly right. I fly home on Friday. So, uh, so I've, uh, I've completed my tour of duty. Um, five games, four of which I've been attending in person. Um, I think <laughs> I posted the stats the other day. It was uh, 
watched four, lost four, scored one, conceded eight. So uh, yep. not not the best couple of weeks in Wednesday history. And probably uh, if it's anything to do with the curse of me being in the country, then I'll be long gone by the time we play Carl- Carlisle on Saturday. It's. Um... I mean, it's it's also got progressively worse, hasn't it? By you know every bit of your, every bit of Wednesday that you've taken in along the way, it's it's got a little bit worse time after time. Yeah, the, the Wolves game actually looks quite good in, uh, in comparison <laughs> now. If you go back uh, back to the beginning, um, as we said earlier, I mean, last week kind of you know if if last week felt positive and the first kind of shoots of happiness, um, this week kind of feels like it needs tying up in a bag with some rocks inside and plunging into the Don or the Hudson. Doesn't really matter which. Um, last week we kind of promised a positive podcast and probably not going to be the same this week it'd be pretty hard to try and take certainly the last two games since we spoke um, in the, the immediate aftermath of Christmas and try and yeah. polish that because quite frankly they're probably two of the worst performances we've seen in recent times I would go as far as to say the performance yesterday against Burton was probably the worst performance that many Wednesday nights have seen in, in probably a decade Yeah, um, it was uh, you know the the mood coming out of Hillsborough in the driving rain on uh, on New Year's Day was was as sour as the sour I'm drinking right now. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're going to struggle to uh, to find the positives. I mean, there there are a few things that we can maybe provide some context to, but it's been a a really really bad week in uh, in the world of Wednesday. I did um, in the aftermath of the the Burton game in the car on the way back. Actually, uh, I sat with my phone trying to come up with five positives. Kind of thinking, right? If I if I was working for the Star and I had to do the five things we learned and thought I'm going to do five positives off the back of the game, then um, I'm, I'm going to have a go. And I managed it, and I'll, I'll run through them later on. Um, they're not brilliant. Don't get excited. Um, but um, I did have a go. Let, let's kind of cover things chronologically because the first thing that happened after we recorded last week, and um, which we touched on and almost kind of you know slightly kind of poured some kind of um, uh, I mean, uh, cast this has been quite unlikely, but um, Carl lost to Swansea, which a week ago was just a bit of a rumour, and very quickly, I think pretty much within 24 hours, became reality. Um, and you said you, you you could see him working, actually, in the Premier League with Swansea. Well, and uh, he certainly won his first game. I, think the, I haven't seen how his seconds uh, going on the last time I, I checked on Twitter. It was looked like it was going to get waterlogged. So, um, yeah, I mean, I... I I can see him being a success over the course of a season in the Premier League, um, but you know, let's let's address it head on. Uh, we were talking about a relationship analogy last week, and the fact that it was going to be hard to see him with a with another partner. Um, probably turns out that he was uh, he was at least in uh, in text communication. Um, there was <laughs> there was probably some nefarious goings on behind our back before that was uh, that deal was sealed because. Although he's painted it publicly as being that, you know, there were lots of expressions of interest as soon as he became free from Wednesday. Swansea came along, he couldn't say no. Um, I think we have to assume, based on the fact that we know that he was in contact with Swansea over the summer, uh, possibly earlier. At the very least, his advisor has been, had been talking to Swansea in the run-up to the decision for him to leave Hillsborough. And <clears throat> if we want to be cynical, um, it may well have been the driving factor in the, the mutual decision that he and Mr Chansiri came to um, for him to depart when he did. Uh, and frankly, as time goes on, those extra days, it begins to look like that was a more of a Carlos-driven decision that uh, the club didn't have a, an immediate, immediate contingency plan in place, which we can come on to. Um, but yeah, he's done his Swansea. He won his first game 2-1 with two goals in the last five minutes. Um, and we had the um, we had sort of the pain of getting back to the pub after the uh, the game at Brentford and seeing Carlos on the big screen uh, with his fists pumping and, uh, and raising... Uh, Raising all the spirits of the Swansea fans. Um, I mean, good. I was honest in last week in saying that I wish him all the best. I want him to be successful. Um, I wish him all the best. I want him to be successful. I hope he keeps them up. Um, but it's hard. It's hard to see it so uh, so immediate. Talk about the, uh, you know, immediately in the aftermath of the, the divorce, he's parading his new partner right in front yeah, of our faces. Absolutely. Um, I, I've I've kind of been on a bit of a roller coaster with this because in in the immediate aftermath, um, I kind of thought well. He'd obviously got that lined up and felt a little cheated. And then kind of thought, well, do you know what? Good luck to him. I wish him all the best. Um, and then I read his, his um, interview, his statement that he did with the, the BBC, where he said that, you know, when he was a, a kid playing for Braga, he dreamed of one day knowing that, you know, Swansea being his destiny. Um, and, and just thought, I mean, this is, you know, the relationship analogy again. This is a little bit like, you know, when he goes and, and meets the parents of his new 
love and just says whatever it takes to win them over even though he said exactly the same to your parents when um when you took him to meet them um and i feel like he's taken taken his new partner to the same restaurant he took you to on that on your first date and said all the same things about you know how lovely my hair looked and what a nice outfit i'd got on all those kind of things he's um he's just rolling out exactly the same lines because it was exactly the kind of thing that he'd have said about about wednesday and we all thought well you know he really grew to love our club um and do you know what as, as time's gone past I've, I've just stopped caring i think um you know the, the events of the last kind of 24 48 hours have kind of pushed carlos to the back of i think most fans minds and just think well he's gone now he gets on with his business we've really got our own shit to worry about and um you know carlos is no longer a part of that and, and let's not worry about it i think if anything yesterday what i probably did just think slightly was I think everyone was was quite nice about him when he when he left. And actually, has he left us in a a bit of a bigger predicament than we probably realised originally? Um, and you know, did he jump ship at the exact right time for him? And I think that's a, that's a legitimate concern. It was certainly you, you're absolutely right. We have to move on now because you know we're going to come to it in a second. We have a crisis in front of us. Um, it, you know, it's definitely a, a crisis week at Wednesday yeah. um, and probably a, a potentially a crisis second half of the season now. Um, whether he is the causal force behind that, whether there are other factors we're going to talk about in a minute, but uh, there was a lot of sentiment around me in Hillsborough with people essentially laying the blame at his door, that he'd, he'd built this and now he's bridged off it to a, a better opportunity to the, to the glory of the Premier League. Um, you know, people are going to have opinions on that. Um whether that's true or otherwise isn't really an issue now. He's part of Wednesday history. He's not part of Wednesday future. Um, and what we need to do right now is we need to solve what's in front of us. So um, I, I think you know there are some legitimate questions to be raised about how much he was utilising Wednesday as a vehicle to further his own uh, ambitions. Um, and there's you know, there's been some discussion about potential further moves down the line that he may um, you know may have option on um, in European football uh, in in coming seasons. Again, you can't fault the guy for being ambitious. You can't fault him for furthering his own career. Um, 14 clubs leading up to Wednesday probably should have told us what we were getting involved with. You know, maybe he had a bit of a reputation before we started dating. Um, and we chose to be blind because love is blind. Mm. Um, now in the bitter aftermath and the, uh, the, uh, the hollow glow of a, uh, of a New Year's morning, we've got to try and uh, work out what we're left with. Well, on, onwards and upwards, as they, um, as they say. And um, the next um, kind of thing that was doing the rounds... Uh, was actually something else that we kind of laughed off a week ago, uh, and that was um, Steve McLaren, who was, as as we said seven days ago, was knocking around the the fairly long odds um, in in the uh, betting for the next Wednesday manager, and then almost overnight, kind of shoots straight up to be, you know, clear odds on favourite, having quit his um, job. I think he was, was he working in Holland. Um, quitting his job abroad anyway. Uh, no, he's in Israel, wasn't he? I don't know where I've got Holland from. Um, and moving back to the UK to pursue uh, coaching options here. Um, and it did, for a while, it looked like, well, this is a done deal, isn't it? This is happening. Uh, and it sounds like, if, if, if certain people are to be believed, that it was actually the reaction of the fan base that, that swayed Mr Chancery to, um, to change his mind and not go through with it. Um, I mean, the whole thing, just what a, uh, what a big mess that is. It, it, just an incredible mess. I mean, you know, if you almost go back and listen to what we said in the, uh, in the beer house, we just said, you know, no chance. I think that was your phrase. And, and, you know, pretty much every Wednesday, as soon as his name was, was you know, seriously linked, said exactly the same thing. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with Mr. Chancery meeting with people within the game, of which, you know, Steve McLaren has, has been there, done, done some things. It's worth him meeting with him. Yeah. What we don't know is whether that was ever serious. You know, it was it was quite quite quickly uh, put down in the press as soon as opinions started to be raised. Yeah, um, I think it was I think it might have been Rob Staten or Ray Sheffield. I can't remember which one of which was contradicting the other. There was a bit of kind of a, a local media tête à tête going on. But um, you know, this is a guy who I don't think would in any way meet our aspirations for a post Carlos era. You know, because of the the legacy that he's he's created elsewhere of not really moving the needle on a whole series of clubs since his you know success probably over a decade ago now. Um, if that was the level of ambition, that's that's concerning in my opinion. Um, I would have laughed him off um, if he if that had been a serious appointment. 
Um, and I think we'd have all had a lot of questions in the fan base. If fan opinion led to that not being the case, um, then we can at least say that the chairman listens. So we just don't know. We don't know the machinations behind the scenes. But there was it was about a 20-hour period until that was thoroughly put to bed that I think many of us were, were kind of getting into the doom and gloom period before we'd even got to the weekend's games. Yeah. Um, all this happened before the first game of the period that we're talking about. So um, this kind of brings it on to Brentford uh, on Saturday. It was your first first trip to Brentford, first time you've been um, you've been down there, and um, in a lot of ways a good day out. In a lot of ways, pretty lousy day. You know, you know, it was a smashing day out. It was uh, it was absolutely brilliant, apart from the ninety minutes of football that we watched. And we actually, have, we should have stayed in the pub. We, we should, should have stayed in the pub. The, uh, the the Brentford guys, the besotted guys, uh, led by Billy, were consummate hosts. So everything that's ever been said on this podcast and elsewhere about how good that fan base is and how uh, how open they are and how uh, how welcoming they are to visiting fans is is absolutely true. Um, we we were in the uh, in the Globe, um, a little walk from the stadium. Not one of the uh, three, not four pubs on the corners. Um, it is now four again. It's back to four. I, I did lie to you. One there you go. The, the one that closed down has now reopened under new ownership. Well, we didn't go to any of those. We went to the Globe, and uh, I think we were in there for three and a half hours before the game, and another hour or so afterwards. And and they were wonderful. Um, it was a great day out. We had uh, we had people joining us on the train from very early in the morning. Sort of an eclectic route down to London via Retford. If anyone's <laughs> ever been to Retford at seven thirty on a Saturday morning, they'll know that that's something you probably shouldn't be doing. We've had fun regardless. Yeah. Um, and actually, if you're dispassionate, the football was pretty good. If you were a Brentford fan, yeah. You know, to put it simply, Brentford basically ran rings around us. Um, you know, Wednesday weren't weren't at the races from very early in that game. Um, the warning signs were there, and you know, when when Brentford chose to get out of first gear. Uh, they scored two absolutely superbly executed goals, and without ever really giving us the sense that they'd uh, they'd really hit their stride. I, I would agree with all that, apart from one thing: that I don't think they ever really needed to get out of first gear. I think they two they scored two goals basically at a canter, um, and we I, it felt like they just it, it was it was a waltz for them. It was a walk in the park. It absolutely was, and you've got to put it in context because this was coming off the back of the Forest game, where you know all of our you know, all of our adrenaline was racing that this was your phrase, shackles off, you know, the bull and bounce, we're getting the type of reaction from the players that they've, you know, they're, they're now unleashed, they can do what they want. Well, it turns out when they do what they want, they don't seem to do very much um, because it was the flattest of flat performances. Um, you know, we um, we reverted to a 4-4-2, 4-4-2 diamond, kind of a curious position of reach in almost in the number 10 role in place of Hooper. Um just no dynamicism from from midfield. Um, I thought Wallace, you know, was particularly kind of ordinary. Um, and the the back four just looked at six and seven. You know, we had Padil coming back in. No explanation to why um, why that was the decision to bring him back into the, the the back four. And and he and Lubens were literally looking in opposite directions at each other and and castigating each other when the first goal was scored, which was a nice through buster exercise for for Lasse Vive. Um And and it only got worse in the second half. It's a, it was a difficult game to try and come up with anything positive out of. It was, um, yeah, I mean, across across the board, it was it was poor. Um, and I thought, I kind of summed it up in my mind afterwards and thought, you, you could have watched that game thinking Wednesday must have had a couple of players sent off because it just felt like Brentford just had more players on the pitch. We had no space to do anything. And when we did get any space, we didn't really know what to do. Um, and, yeah, just... Just a real old, um, a, a real poor day for us. We wondered whether or not, you know, was that just a blip? Are we, are we going to be all right under Bullen? Was was it just a bit of a one-off? Is he still finding his feet a little bit? And I think we've we've had a bit more proof since that that's probably not the case. But we'll um, we'll no doubt come to that. Did you have any positives from Brentford? Um, one of the positives I took actually was listening to to how Brentford have turned into that side. Um, so you know, we spent time with Billy afterwards talking about the the Brentford model. Um, and the fact that you know one of the uh, one of the questions I think that that we posed him, in fact you posed him, was you know that are they fearful that we might take Dean Smith off them? Um, you know he's been he's been linked with the uh, with the Wednesday vacancy. He's an ex Wednesday player. Um, he's obviously doing very well in the championship. A lot of fans have said they would like to see him. And he said, actually, you know what? No, I'm not concerned. <laughs> and he's, for one very simple reason, if he goes, we'll bring somebody in who'll play. You know he'll he'll manage the squad in the same way, but the Brentford way. And essentially saying that they've got a model that works regardless of who's in the head coach position. 
and you know what that kind of hit me smack in in between the eyes as we were you know heading away from the ground was we are light years away from that yeah. you know as we're in this situation trying to choose our next manager we are not in a position where we can confidently say that the person coming in has to adhere to the way that Wednesday do things you know he's talking about the fact they've had a, a striker out um, playing for I think a Danish second division club um, you know as they build up that that player's confidence and his uh, you know try him out in at that level of football they know that they can bring him in now because of the, the level that he's reached again you know, compare contrast that to our development arrangements. It, it, it was just a real, really startling way of sort of setting the bar as to where we should be, as opposed to where we are. Bit of a reality check, if you will. And I thought that that positive was was actually pretty good if you could apply that to to maybe some of the decisions we need to take. It was it was an interesting time to play them really in that regard, wasn't it? And kind of chatting to um, to Billy, who um, I I could talk to Billy about football all day long and not get bored. Um, but kind of talking about Dean Smith and talking about the Brentford system kind of meant that a little bit more considering the fact that we're at a bit of a crossroads at the moment and people that are talking about <clears throat> Dean Smith maybe being a good choice for us. Having talked to Billy on Saturday, I kind of came away thinking, forget that. You know, Look, look at um, Mark Warburton and what he's done since leaving Brentford. Uh, and again, quite timely, he got fired this week by Nottingham Forest. Yep. You would think now that you know that's it in, in terms of championship. He, no one else is going to give him a, a shot at that level. You know, he's going to have to go right down the leagues now if he wants to continue working in uh, in football. And he, he wasn't originally a football guy anyway, so he might go back to he was working banking or something before he got into football. Um, because you know he was just a coach that that fitted well into the system at Brentford. It was the system that was successful. He was just a coach that suited it, and um, you know you, you see when he's not got that system around him, he can't do it, and that would be the concern with Dean Smith that you bring him to to Wednesday, where it's not that our system is is not the same as Brentford. We don't have a system, you know. We've, we we have you know nothing. We, we we've had the 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 you know the fledgling shoots of it right at the start of um, of, of Mr. Chancery's kind of reign where we did have a transfer committee and a football kind of group, a football committee of sorts, but that's gone now anyway. So, you know, we, it's not even about our system being different. We just don't have one. We don't. And, you know, when we start talking about the Burford game, it's Burford? <laughs> that's, a, that's a horrible conflagration of, uh, of two very disappointing games. The, uh, the Burton game in a second, we're going to talk about how just painfully apparent that is now in terms of the football that we're playing. Uh, as soon as the person whose philosophy happen to be exerting influence over the club disappears. There's nothing There's nothing to protect us at that point. So you bring in a manager who's benefited from a system like that and you're relying entirely on their ability to transplant that into a different environment without infrastructure. And I, I don't think that's credible. So I, I'm completely with you that you know Dean Smith's success at Brentford is not an indicator of whether he'd be a success at Wednesday. Um, to try and answer your original question, I think the only positive I, I really could take away from uh, from Saturday from the playing side uh, was maybe the heart that a couple of players showed, um, and they were the, they stood out as the exceptions, and that was probably Reach and Joao, um, who I thought you know genuinely kept running, kept trying, kept kept pushing, um, and they they just stood out as being a, a long way different to the rest of the squad, who who unfortunately just didn't show any of that spark. Maybe Jack Hunt when he came on as well uh, towards the end of the game, showing a bit more pace, a bit more endeavour down the right hand side. Okay, um, next thing on my list is. Um... Is back to off the field matters, uh, and this coming a couple of hours before kickoff uh, against Burton, and seriously out of the blue, I don't think any of anyone expected this, uh, and that was the appointment of a chief exec. Now we've talked, maybe not so much on record, uh, but certainly we've had many conversations between us where we've talked about, um, you know, the need for a chief exec and actually more than that you know the need of uh, the need for some kind of structure around um Sheffield Wednesday and we we kind of thought well you know we know it's not going to happen um out of the blue it does um, and we have a chief exec um and I'm going to apologize now for my terrible pronunciation here I'm going with Catherine Mier um I don't know if that's right or wrong but um hopefully um hopefully it is I I've, I think we could probably fill an hour here just talking about her record at Charlton I think that's been fairly widely covered and discussed in the media. Um, so let's skip to the uh, important bit, really, which is, you know, how, how how do you feel about it? And I suppose, most importantly, are you worried? Yes, I'm worried, but I'm not necessarily worried for the reasons that have been doing the rounds in the last 24 hours. Okay. So, I mean, you know, on the face of it, um, given her reputation, given the, the vitriol 
which is directed towards her almost universally from Charlton fans, um, we should be very, very worried. Um, you know, her, her reputation coming in as sort of somebody who's dispassionate, disconnected from fans, um, who's on record as, as having questioned the role that fans play in a football club. Um, it's not the um, <laughs> it's not the appointment that you would expect to see if you wanted to extend an olive branch to a fan base. So it's a reason to be worried. The, the reason I'm worried, though, is not necessarily what she did or did not do at Charlton. Um, and I, the only thing I'll say in mitigation to that is it's very clear that she is the figurehead who gathered all of the anger of the Charlton fans for everything that was happening at Charlton, You know, most of which I think ultimately should be laid at the blame of the owners. I think it's the Duchelet group who... Uh, connect back to Standard Liège where she came from um, you know so whether she was or personally responsible or not is is almost hard to, to identify the thing that worries me is her experience level so in my opinion every opinion every appointment that we make at Hillsborough now should be with a view to being a Premier League club and I would have expected to see a Premier League quality or Premier League experience chief, chief executive coming into to Wednesday at the point where that appointment was made with due respect to her, and I'm willing to be proven wrong, she's uh, she's been at two football clubs, Standard the Asian Belgium and Charlton Athletic, neither of whom fit that bill uh, in terms of level of experience. Um, she's relatively junior in her career. Um, I think she was uh, you know, almost a, a relatively uh, newly qualified lawyer when she took on the, the legal counsel role at the age and then parachuted into the CEO role at Charlton where she was for, I think, two or maybe three years max. Um I think the, the the question that I'll ask is, you know, is, is she genuinely ready to take on a, a task of the magnitude of, of Sheffield Wednesday? I um similar ways I think I have concerns. Um I kind of feel like she she could very well have just been the mouthpiece of a, a much wider problem at, at, at Charlton. Um, and you know it, it, it's it's probably a fair and true statement to say that she did oversee probably the most unsuccessful period in that club's history, uh, which I think culminated in their lowest league position for ninety odd years last um, last season. Um, so it's not a great CV in that in that regard. Um, but you know you you have with anything like that when you've got an owner who um, is not public facing. Um, you know, he doesn't do what what Mr. Chancery does. He will not engage with the fans at all. Doesn't do forums, anything like that. There is there is never a public statement from 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 their owner. It all comes from the chief exec, which means that inevitably, you know, you are the shit filter in that situation. Mm. And it, it, if things are going well, then everyone's going to love you. Uh, and if things are not going well, then you know you are going to take the blame for it all. And it's very possible that she is absolutely terrible at her job. I, I, I don't know. But it's also possible that actually there were much, much bigger problems within the club um, and she was just required to be the person that, that, that took kind of the flack for that. Um, she's certainly not helped herself with some of the things that she's said. And it's, you know, it's a worry that she clearly isn't someone that understands football. Um, on, on the flip side of that... Um, you, you you could say that you know sometimes someone that's maybe not involved in the nitty gritty of, of of football and the emotion that goes with it can maybe see things a little bit more clearly, um, and so maybe you can try and pull some kind of positive from that, and that's you know quite difficult to do. But I do think that we've just got to give her a chance. You know, we we know that our owner is different to the owner of Charlton. You know, Mr. Chancery, far from trying to hide away and not um, you know respond to fans. Um, uh, probably uh, responds to fans a little bit too much and, and is a little bit too public um, and you know we'll we'll respond to things as we talked about a, a week ago where you know very impassionately we'll we'll respond to things almost on a whim where, where he's putting out a statement at two o'clock in the morning um, so it will be interesting to see what kind of job um, that, that she does within a very different setup at, at, at Sheffield Wednesday the worry for me is just kind of like is this a a slight indication of what direction Mr. Chancery wants us to go uh, go in as a club and it, it's felt like we've been kind of, you know, we've been at this crossroads for a while and even a, a, a kind of um, a, 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 the kind of the meetings, the steering group meetings and, and, and other things where Mr. Chancery kind of talks about the the financial model that we operate within and how it requires all fans to kind of 
give that little bit more um, so that you know we can kind of achieve what we all want to achieve. And if fans aren't willing to do it, then he needs to look at a different policy and go in a different direction. Uh, and you always just kind of think, yeah, yeah, he's just saying that, he's just saying that. Is this actually an indication that you know we are going to go in a particular direction and maybe it's not a direction that we really want to go in? And that is pure speculation, but you know that thought is in my mind and I can't go with it. And, and not unreasonably so, because... So you take those two things in combination. You have a hands-on owner who is... You know, he, Mr. Chancellor is not about to take his hand off the tiller at Hillsborough. So he, you then have to ask the question, if he's bringing a CEO in, recognising that he needs somebody to take more of the day-to-day leadership and decision-making within the club, club whole, including the football side, although I always raise the question about how a CEO could genuinely influence what happens on the pitch, apart from obviously sanctioning player transfers and otherwise. Um, her record at Charlton, if you strip away the emotion, you strip away the public statements, is one ultimately of cost-cutting, um, keeping a budget under control, keeping them within FFP limits. Um, I think they recorded a £13 million pound loss in 2016, a um, you know, quite significant loss, obviously, uh, for, on the previous year because of the relegation, but they still managed to retain a degree of uh, financial uh, solvability. Um, sold a lot of players, that's where a lot of the fan heat comes from. Um, you know, are we are we preparing for a similar re uh, repositioning of the club in order to to ease the pain of a transition over the next twelve to eighteen months? As we obviously come up against FFP pressures and and probably have to make conduct some very major surgery on the squad, that would be the implication I would drive based on her experience level um, that he sees her as a good uh, operational financial leader uh, who can can oversee that. Um, I would love to be proven wrong. I always say this, whether it be in the management side, the footballing side or the commercial side, I want Wednesday to prove me wrong. Um, but it's easy to have a degree of cynicism. And for the rest of the fan base, it's it's much easier not to have the cynicism, but just to assume the worst. Yeah. Um, and you know, in the simplest form possible, every appointment at the senior level sends a message. It sends a message to the fan base, it sends a message to the football community about what you're about. And by appointing this lady, he is sending a message that he either sees capability in her that has been disregarded because of the circumstances at Charlton, um, in which case credit to him when that, those results proved otherwise, or he's sending a message that actually he has a disregard for the fan base at a level that he's willing to adopt a similar level of antagonism in order to get the results he needs. Um, neither one of which would be the message that I would really like to have seen him uh, extol, which is that we have ambitions of being a, a much better organised, much more... Um, heavily organised and, and, and you know equipped for the future club in terms of infrastructure there's kind of something um, a, a little interesting in the fact that her appointment is announced literally on the 1st of January yeah. on, the, on the first day of the transfer window um, you know it feels like that if we were to get together in a month's time we'd have a much better idea as to what this appointment is really about and what her agenda is ultimately going to be um, I kind of feel like with the way things are going at the moment we will probably know within the next week because that's how quickly things are moving at the moment I think we'll get a very clear indication pretty quickly um, as to you know what direction we're going in um, we're going in now um, to, to kind of try and pick on a, a positive view on this which is that you know we've, we've said for a while we can't just carry on going in the direction that we're going in you know we can't just carry on with uh, uh, you know, a, a very passionate but slightly kind of renegade owner who just kind of wants to do everything his own way without really kind of taking any kind of feedback or, um, you know, without anyone that's that's you know uh, making decisions and, and and doing the stuff that needs to be done. Uh, at least now we've we've got that, and it might not have been. I wouldn't have thought that it would be anywhere near the top of anyone's kind of preference in terms of who we bring into the club. Um, but at least we've got some kind of indication of the fact that he recognises the current direction can't continue and we do need to change direction. I think you know we don't know what that direction is and that's a, a worry. The unknown is always going to be a worry. But the way we were doing it before clearly wasn't working anyway. So um, maybe we haven't really got anything to lose. We can only judge the results, right? Um, so the you know, same principle as Carlos being in the rearview mirror. Her tenure at Charlton is in the rearview mirror. Mr Chancery is damned if he does, damned if he doesn't at the moment in the fans' eyes, um, which is a function of what's going on on the pitch. We need to come back to that. Um, let's see what January holds. The appointment of the new manager and what happens to the playing squad are the things that we really need to watch out for. Those will be the immediate signals of intent. 
Right. Um, I think I've been trying to delay this for as long as possible, but we're going to have to talk about Burton. Um, and if if the kind of you know thirty minutes of discussion before this has been um, you know at, at, at times uncomfortable, uh, we we reach this point. <laughs> you described it as uh, the, there'll be people that have not seen a worse performance in in the last ten years. Um, and we, I mean, you know, obviously we went down to Brentford together. Um, you know, we've seen two games in two days. And, and you know you kind of came away from Brentford thinking that's that's pretty bad you know that's that's got to be a low point it's it's upwards from here and Burton was I mean it was just diabolical wasn't it it was shambolic you know the um, all, all three goals were, were were pretty poor defensively and that's ignoring the horrendous defending that gave away a penalty which Joe Wildsmith saved uh, what a just what an awful awful ninety minutes that was. As bad as I've seen at Hillsborough in a long, long time. I said ten years earlier on, it might, might even be slightly longer, and we, we've we've seen some pretty rubbish games for, for so many reasons. Um, I mean, I was uh, for my sins. I was trying to do uh, live tweets for the Isles of America's account, and um, it just uh, over the course of the ninety minutes, the the tweets were getting more depressive, more aggressive, and and frankly more. Uh, uh, cataclysmic as we approached full time. I mean, it, it was just an atrocious performance from from eleven, fourteen Wednesday players. Um, maybe we can single a couple of people out for praise, but but let's start with with what it was. It was it wasn't just flat. It was uh, it was abject and uninspired. There was no energy in the team whatsoever. Um, you know. It, I know Bullen had tried to rotate his squad and tried to bring some um, some life back in after a busy Christmas period, but I refuse to accept that any of those players were fatigued or tired. They just didn't have any motivation. They didn't have any any inspiration or any will to succeed for Sheffield Wednesday. Um, and I I don't like the chant "You're not fit to wear the shirt." Even in the worst times, I think you've got to try and find a way to to stay with the players. Um, but none of them deserved uh, anything other than the hair lashing they got from Bullen after the game because it. it it was insipid and, and disgusting to see players not competing for challenges, um, taking taking so many liberties that the back like Butterfield did with that uh, that one-two with Leuvens, which you know, I think somebody said it looked like a training ground exercise with Brentford on Saturday. It looked like Wednesday were having a training ground exercise against Burton on Monday and didn't care what the conclusion was. Um, you know, somebody pointed out on Twitter earlier on put replay the replay of that series of events that led to the penalty. Neither Leuven nor Butterfield go back and G up Wildsmith before the penalty. Right. Neither of them go back to Wildsmith after he saves the penalty, after he gets them out of jail. And that's just representative of something that's rotten in that squad. That even when you've got a young goalkeeper who has been saving their backs for the last three, four games and is doing so again, they aren't on top of him, top of him you know, giving him all of the, the encouragement that he should be receiving for, for what he did in the first five minutes. And then that set the tone. You know, that set the tone for a performance that it didn't get going. You know, when we finally started to exert a little bit of pressure, because Burton give you the ball, they're happy to sit back in their banks of four and, and sort of invite you onto us. You know, we couldn't carve out anything like a, a real chance. I think Joao had one header at the back post, which he should have done better with from a, a Jack Hunt cross, which was uh, which was well targeted. Um, but then when the first goal came, I mean, it. What did what did what did Bully say? It was like something you wouldn't even see in a playground. I mean, it. it I think everyone just turned around with embarrassment in the stadium. I mean, there's twenty five thousand fans there watching their left back pick the ball up thirty five yards out and run past eight Wednesday players, none of whom can put a challenge in. When he finally loses the ball, it runs free, and not one Wednesday player goes for the second ball. He literally just walks through and toe pokes it into the goal. Um, I, I I just can't remember seeing something like that in in a in a long time at Hillsborough. It's as bad a goal that we've conceded in I, I don't know I can't I can't think of anything like it I mean it was just it was astonishingly bad it was just just terrible uh, and and probably the worst thing about um, uh, Saturday was the fact that uh, sorry not Saturday New Year's Day was the fact that Burton actually weren't very good they didn't really do anything um, they played a very Nigel Clough kind of game which which was just kind of keeping things Tight, but we we single handedly made them look great. I could be wrong, but I think they had two attacks in the second half. They yeah. scored from both of them. Yeah, um, you know, one of our um, one of your good friends, uh, Peter Lohman, tweeted out something after the game, 
if you look at expected goals, in other words, the number of likely goals a team scores on average uh, across the course of a season, their their expected goal ratio for for the season so far is about 0.8. Right. In other words, they rarely score a goal. They, they struggle to score one goal in a game. Um, Wednesday, you know, had them way above that target by half time, and they scored three past us. You know, this is a defence that a year ago we were lauding as being the the backbone of of a team that was pushing for the Premier League. Um, you know, yes, we've got players out for injury, but you don't lose the the principles of being able to play football. What what our players have lost is motivation. They've lost the the will to play for one another. They seem to have lost the will to play for Sheffield Wednesday. Um, and the the questions I want answered at this point is, you know, where. What, where is that stemming from? Is that stemming from something that is personnel-driven within the squad? Uh, is it something that's driven from the way that the club is being run at a higher level, which is stemming through to the playing staff? Um, is it is it another factor? And I'm, I'm struggling to come up with a causal factor that, that can really explain it because I don't see players that want to play football, that are having fun playing football, and that are receiving any form of organisation to play football on the field. Um, and that's a team that's heading rapidly into a relegation dogfight. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm not normally someone that um, kind of takes the kind of the negative viewpoint on stuff. Um, and my relevance here is, you know, I would normally be when when fans are, are singing uh, or chanting something that's very negative about the team while a, a game is actually happening. I'll normally be quite opposed to that. Um, when with five minutes to go fans were singing you're not fit to wear the shirt I thought I, I can't argue with them I'm not going to join in I cannot argue with, with that I mean that is a, a, as bad as it's been as I said earlier I did set myself a challenge in the car on the way back come on James dig us out of this because we, I, we have to find a, a I way up with two beers because I wasn't very well anyway um, so um, whereas normally in the car on the way back I'd just fall asleep in the back and it wouldn't matter um, so I, I tried to come up with five positive Viewpoints from Saturday. So five positive ways of looking at it. Number one, at least now we know Lee Bullen is not the answer. You know, after the Forest game, a few fans saying, "Oh, maybe you give it till the end of the season." After Brentford, a few people saying, oh, "It might just be a blip." Now we know he he he's not going to get results from that from that squad. Um, he probably needs to go when we bring someone else in. It's probably his time with Wednesday has come to an end. And if I can just ride on that, that draws a, a line under. Under that, absolutely, and and it's taught us something else as well. Just pure motivation is not enough. Yeah. So the idea that we just get a, a hairdryer manager in who's going to come and yell at this squad, that will not get at the results that we need. Um, num- number two, um, as a positive, is at least now our season is defined. So playoffs, stop talking about Go it. On. Promotion, stop talking about it. Never. This season is about getting the number of points that we need to stay in this league, and that is it. Uh, and at least now we have direction. So you know, if we win a couple of games, uh, you know, this kind of like, oh, maybe we could sneak into the playoffs. Just forget all about that. Now we have some direction. We have some definition to what our season is is about, which we've not really had. It's been up and down and all over the place. At least now we clearly see the fact that you know, as you say, the kind of form that we're in, we are ultimately in a bit of a relegation. Yeah, we need we right need now. twenty to twenty five more points, and that means that we're building the foundations as we do so for a. Uh, a better season in 2018-19 a week ago I said a promotion season but um, we may have to work even harder than that um, it was a day where a new era started at Hillsborough uh, whether it's going to be a good new era or not we don't know but you know the appointment of a chief exec before the game at least is an indication of the fact that we are moving in some kind of direction which is better than moving in no direction that's positive number three um, positive number four We've still got a new manager to come in, and, and a new manager coming in is going to bring in new ideas, and you know that is something that we are, we, we know that we are severely lacking at the moment. We're lacking in ideas. Uh, we had one kind of, um, uh, I call it a blip along the way, really, against Forest, where it it kind of looked like maybe we we, we did have those ideas. We don't. We know that we don't. And um, if we'd have brought a new manager in already, and we were losing. 2-0 at Brentford and 3-0 at home to Burton then I'd be a lot more worried than I am with us doing that under a caretaker manager and we've still got the new person to come in who's got some ideas to bring to us A new person and new people um, don't forget that you know Carlos has taken his coaching squad with him, his technical analysts um, you have to assume that whoever Wednesday appoint will bring in uh, the equivalent 
uh, whether the same roles or, or alternative roles. So that's going to be a range of people around the squad. And, and again, you know, uh, we have to trust in the, the fact that that package of individuals are going to be able to exert something from these players. Uh, positive number five, uh, we are at the very start of a transfer window. So we know that we need we need players in. We we need we need to change stuff. At least we can do it. You know, if this was happening at the start of February and the transfer window had just closed, then there is nothing you can do and there's not even a loan window anymore. You know, you are stuck with the players that you've got. So if we need to get some players out, we need to get some players in, we've got the opportunity to do it. That's not to say that we will do it, but at least, you know, we are at the point of the transfer window where we've got a lot of time and a lot of scope to be able to change some things. So that was my fifth positive. So I, so I came away thinking, um, I mean, nothing nothing particularly positive from the day at all, but at least those five positives are not bad. They're not bad. It's, if, it's, if, it's if, if I can make six as well, no, I think credit to you because uh, I can promise you in the car on the way over in the... Uh, <laughs> Well, man, we weren't uh, we weren't talking about uh, positives. Um, I think he was he was trying to encourage me to remember that in the sixties things were okay, um, which is his way of kind of retreating to his shell. But no, a six, a six positive is actually the players who stood out and did okay against uh, against Brentford stood out and did okay again uh, against Burton. Actually, yeah. Adam Reach, Reach, Reach was still trying, um, you know, still showing pace and purpose, and and you know, one of those few players who seemed to have the heart to chase down lost causes. Um, I think I think Joao again, you know, putting himself about well. Um, you know, I still criticise how clinical he is when he gets himself into opportunities, but at least he was getting into those opportunities. I think we could not level the same praise towards John Rhodes. Um, and I, I thought Jack Hunt, while he stayed on the pitch until he got injured again, um, was uh, you know was more po- more probing and more encouraging at right back. And there were, there were just a couple of times when he linked up with Wallace, and we suddenly remembered you know what those two could do in the past. I don't think they will do it again. Um, but but those three stood out to me. And Joe Wildsmith, who I talked about earlier on again, um, you know, was uh, did, did all that was asked of him, and you know, he was left in no man's land for the goals that were scored. I don't levy any criticism for him uh, for those three goals. So yeah, you know, there's one or two bright sparks in the squad. But you know, to come back to your point in terms of the transfer window ahead, this squad needs major surgery now. Yeah. You know, we, I think we talked before about how Adrian crept up on it. Malaise has crept into it. Um, something very wrong has happened within it. Um, and without knowing what the the reasons for that are, we we have to shake it up at this point. And that will probably mean some of the names who uh, a couple of months ago we couldn't have tolerated the idea of losing need to move on. Yeah. Um, and we need some fresh blood, some hungry players, um, and somebody to fuse them together into something that can fight to stay in the division. I think um, that 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 is a bigger process than January, isn't it? And. Um... We'll, we'll, we'll get on to in fact it's a good time for us to, to get on to now talking about who the right person to bring in in terms of manager is because it's you know, it's, it's obviously uh, the, the rumours have, have, have kind of chopped and changed over the course of the last week as we said earlier you know it was nailed on Steve McLaren there have been various other names kind of mentioned Frank Sidebottom yeah. Frank Sidebottom was spotted in the uh, maybe not it was um, FC Nant wasn't it he was, uh, he was in the director's <laughs> box Um but you know, do we? We kind of need. We almost need two appointments right now, don't we? We need someone who is a bit of a firefighter who can come in and and make sure that we don't get relegated. Um, and you know, we need someone that has an immediate new manager bounce just to get the number of points we need to stay in this division. But we similarly also need someone that can start building a longer term plan of who what we need to do, partly in January, partly in the summer. To actually sort us out for next season, as you say, it is it's pretty much a whole scale rebuild. You can't do that. We can't do that in January. Yeah. And it's also, a three if, someone, if someone came in that could do it, do, do they take the eye off the ball in terms of the fact that we we need those points to stay in the league? <clears throat> to to put to put you know nickel on it, we need two appointments. I said last week that ideally I'd like to see a director of sport. I stand by that. Um, and in my opinion, the director of sport is the person who comes in and performs that major overhaul of the football infrastructure and squad. And we need a firefighter coach who can come in and gel the t- the players that they have available to them as we go through this window, by the end of this window, as we go into the summer, into a a unit that fights for Sheffield Wednesday and fights for results in this league. Um, and I think those are two very different people, to your point. Um, I'm not entirely certain still who the, the right individuals are. No. But it, it is a much bigger job than one person. 
it, it's um, it's it's really difficult, isn't it? You, you look at the names that are knocking around, and and you know, a week ago, I was flying the flag a bit for um, Paul Hurst, whose name has kind of dropped away a, 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 a little. And actually, the stuff that's happened over the last few, the last week, the last few days, particularly, has made me kind of think. Actually, is that the right person? Um, but I think I think I messaged you either last, maybe last Thursday, last Friday morning, um, when um, the Andre Fierce Boas link was was first kind of rearing its head, uh, and kind of saying, "What well, you know, that's that's quite interesting. What an interesting appointment that would be." Um, and three or four days later, having originally thought, Do you know what, that that could be that could be really interesting, and thinking, actually, that would probably be the worst thing that we could possibly do because you've got you know a contemporary continental coach who's used to working within a really complex developed system um, and bring him into a club that not only doesn't have that that system but is also just in a mess like he's got no experience of sorting out a mess and at the moment he's driving a rally car around uh, around somewhere a long yeah. way away from here he's, right he's, he's in the Dakar yeah, rally until the end of January we can't wait till the 20th of January you know we have a game next Friday uh, week on Friday which um, is going to have a big bearing on the direction of the season um, and if the team turn up like they did uh, yesterday um, then I'm afraid the, the other half of the city are going to have a real massacre to, to, to cry about you know not not the one that they uh, they exerted at Pillsbury that was never a massacre so we can't wait for an AVB um, I mean I, I, again he's a manager who I like the sound of um, same way as when we talked about Paolo Fonseca um, but, but those are luxury managers that we can we can maybe talk about as summer hires, in my opinion. Um, right now, your your phrase "firefighter" is the right one. So, you've got to be looking at someone who's going to combine coaching skill, uh, respect, uh, and a degree of of motivational capability as well. Um, and those are few and far between. You know, it's not a Steve McLaren, that's for sure. Can I um, perform a monumental U-turn right now, please? A week ago, um, I discussed how utterly boring and dislikable Paul Lambert is and what an uninspiring appointment it would be this, this, right is, now, this is an enormous U-turn right now he's actually exactly what we need and it's taken two games of football for me to realise that because Paul Lambert when, when you talk about someone that's uninspiring like you know he 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 makes no bones you know, he will be very honest about the fact that I think he's only stayed friends with one player that he's ever played with he doesn't make friends he's not interested in making friends in, in football um, you know he will criticise his players um, he will tell them what they've got to do and if they don't do it he'll, he'll get rid of them and bring in someone else that will that will do it in an instant you know he is quite old fashioned in his uh, uh, approaches uh, to football management and I think right now that's what we need and I don't like him, and I don't like anything about him, but I think that he could be the person that can get something out of the squad that we've got because we're not going to have a new squad at the end of January. You know, we might have a couple of different faces, but it is it's going to be the, the the basic crux of the same team that we've got now. And I I, I just think that that Lambert is the kind of person who can go in, not be interested in making friends. He's not interested in what they think about him. All he gives a damn about is we've got this number of points to get before the end of the season for this team to keep up to, to stay in the division, um, and I can see him doing it. And 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 that is it's been a difficult one for me to kind of come to that conclusion because I really dislike him. I strongly dislike him, and I find him just. Re- I, I I would I would not listen to a single one of his pre or post match interviews because I just can't stand listening to him. But I do think that he might be the right person for us now. No, you definitely wouldn't get a rise out of him the way you got out of Bullen. Uh, in his uh, in his post match interview yesterday, which by the way, just as an aside, I mean the fact that the, the club had to uh, write out verbatim a lot of Bullen's comments on their uh, their official social media was mm. was quite sensational yesterday evening, given some of the things he had to say about that squad and just how unacceptable that performance was. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't get excited about Paul Lambert. I, can't, I hear everything you're saying. It is a monumental U-turn. Um, if he could live up to that billing, then you know I, I can I can put all of my negativity negative vibes to one side because it's about results and, and I'll accept that. I mean, there will be fans who say that at this point, what we really need is a Neil Warnock, you know, somebody who again yeah. has no bones about um, making friends, but just wants to to grind out results. Um, and somebody in that ilk is is probably exactly right. Um, Another name that's been on the list for some time, which again I was initially quite negative about, which I think probably could do a job for us now, is Karanka. 
Um, you know, I don't think anybody would get superbly excited about his former football, um, and he probably would fall out with a couple of our players by benching them and, and not giving them a look in. But his defensive solidity and his understanding of how to get a team playing as a unit to cut out some of the nonsense that we've seen over the last few games, I think is is probably something that we could make use of right now. Um, all of which is to say that whoever is appointed needs to come on board and you know, Bullen was advocating for it yesterday as soon as possible so they can start working with this squad and put us in a position where we're where we're turning up with heart and with organisation next Friday. Um, those are the two very, very most basic things that, that the squad has to display. Um, otherwise, you know, the, the the emotional turmoil that this fan base will go into, let alone the chaos that it'll instill in the squad if we get turned over next Friday night at Bramall Lane is um, is not really worth thinking about. It's um, it's a big old month, really, isn't it? Because you've got obviously we've, we've got this kind of going to call it like a pseudo break, because it isn't really. We've got we've got Carlisle in the cup on Saturday. I was saying in the car on the way back, I would play turn out the youth. Yeah, in, in yep. entirety academy players. I don't give a toss if we win, draw, whatever. That um, we you know we it buys us a little bit of time now to be able to get a coach in. You want to teach that as a friend again? I mean, George Boyd is apparently fit again, um, so give him a run out for yeah, ninety minutes, but out. but link him with a bunch of the youth players. Maybe yeah. inject a little bit of energy in from the Joao's and reaches, but. Let's not waste time. I I, I, w- I wouldn't play anyone who we think has got even a chance of playing on Friday the twelfth on the basis of the fact that you know we, with our luck at the moment with injuries, that's fair. Anything that risks another one, just don't bother. Uh, and I don't, you know, they could play the kit man as set forward for for me. You know, I just think let's just get that game out of the way. And if we lose, then we lose. It doesn't matter. Our season is not going to be defined on how far we get in the FA Cup. As we said earlier, we know now our season is defined on us staying in the Championship and giving us a chance to build on next season. So if it means throwing that game, um, and I'll, you know, I'm sure there'll be someone listening that will personnel talk about what a knobhead I am for saying that, but I, don't, I, I just don't care. You know, we, FA Cup, forget it, I'm not bothered. Um, we've got, you know, before the end of this month, we've got obviously United on the, the, the 12th, uh, we've got uh, Cardiff on the 20th, uh, we've then got Middlesbrough away. Middlesbrough coming into some kind of form now under Tony Pulis, who is probably exactly the kind of manager that we could have done with. Um, and Cardiff not having a bad season with a manager who might want to get one over on us. Um, it's, I mean, this is a it's a damn hard month, and we've we've got to get points from somewhere because we could be by the end of this month we could genuinely be in the bottom three. Well, we're six points above the bottom three right now, and it's perfectly reasonable to say that those are three games that we're likely to lose just based on the form that we're in, the chaos that we're in. So if you go into February and you're still on 30 points, uh, you have to assume that one of the bottom three have picked up three, four, maybe six points from that period. We could be in the bottom three. you know. And uh, the table itself doesn't matter. The point is the mentality and the momentum that the squad has. Um, And and we have to turn a result or two in that run of games, um, which only illustrates the, uh, the, the task facing somebody coming in. It doesn't make it an attractive task. You know, I think Wednesday may need to, to recalibrate because of what's happened in the last two games the type of individual they're going after which you know, maybe they had some uh, some story expectations of, of Transseries brand in mind um, you know, Wednesday right now looks like a coming crisis so we've got to, we've got to cut our cloth accordingly um, Finally I guess usually you know, the, the first discussion that you have at the start of January would be about the transfer window, you know, who who do you want? Which positions do we need to strengthen in? Um, and I can't I can't even ask you that question because I mean it's impossible. You know, you, at the moment, if I was to say what positions do we need to strengthen in, how would you possibly narrow it down? With the possible exception of goalkeeper, where we're probably all right. Beyond that, you know, you 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 can just take your pick, can't you? It's it's just at the moment it is, um, it, it it's almost impossible to kind of narrow down. And try and figure out exactly what positions we need. It's difficult to get it onto the singular position, but I, I, I would, I would advocate that we have players of goal-scoring capability. If you can build a team that services them better, we can finish chances. You know, and, and I can drop that all the way from those who we probably give more credit to, all the way down to, to Nihu. But sorry, that was just one for Lord H. Um, <laughs> Where I don't think we have the players and the personnel to survive in this league at the moment is at the back. 
um, I think left back is a real problem for us. You know, I just I think Morgan Fox was asleep at the uh, the controls on Saturday. I thought he was atrocious against Burton, um, and in my mind, a left back would be a high priority purchase right now. Um, Can I echo that because I thought that Morgan Fox on um, on New Year's Day was absolutely appalling and actually worrying in terms of the fact that to me it looked like someone that something had happened the night before and part of his brain had been removed like he just didn't seem to know what was going on or how to play football no he had a lobotomy he, he at some looked point in the like um, I mean yeah basically headless chicken just didn't have a clue did not have a clue uh, and well, I you know probably not the only player that I would say this about but if, if you gave him the opportunity to say they will never wear a Wednesday shirt again, probably take it. And he's a player I've tried to give the benefit of the doubt from. But I think I said to you on Saturday against Brentford, this is before he turned out against Burton, that he kind of reminded me playing football when I was at school. Um, you know, I could, I could kick a ball and I could run after a ball and I, was, um, I enjoyed playing. But I reached a level when I knew I was well behind the curve. Yeah. Um, you know, players yeah. were, they had the extra yard of pace, the technical capability, and you know I was puffing just to try and keep up with the play, let alone to uh, to play a role in the play. And he looked like that against Brentford. They were running rings around him. Um, so left back is a priority. We have to address the centre back issue. We need a storied championship centre back in there who can command the back four and start to command the team because there is no leadership on the pitch. You know whether Glenn Lubens was sick with flu on Monday and shouldn't have played, whether he shouldn't have played on Saturday against Brentford is irrelevant to my mind. He he is not leading that team the way he should, um, and that's not to be critical of the man and what he's done. It's to say that right now we need leaders on the pitch who are firebrands, who are charging, who are in the faces of their teammates in a positive way. Um, we need to bring somebody or some people in to do that, and probably similar in the middle of the park as well. Um, I think that's about it. <laughs> I mean, there's been plenty for us to um, to kind of go over there. Um, I feel a little bit kind of silly asking you this, really, but kind of looking back over it, um, have you enjoyed your football experience while in the UK? <laughs> I've loved it. I, I, I love it because of the conversation and because of the, the experience of, uh, of being here with everyone. I mean, it's it, we, we've got a great community in, in the US uh, of people who get just as passionate and, and dissect every game in just the same way. And we, you know, we talk about the same issues and we, we react and thanks to social media, we can interact with everyone back here. But nothing beats being at Hillsborough, hearing it firsthand. Nothing beats the, um, the bovril that burnt my tongue yesterday at, uh, at Burton or, uh, or you know, spending the day with you guys on, uh, on Saturday uh, going down to Brentford. So it, everything except for the performances on the pitch and the results has been tremendous. Um, and seeing it firsthand gives you a very up close understanding of, of what needs to happen. I, I'm a layperson. If I can see it, I have to hope that people within the club hierarchy can see it. Um, so I have to put my faith in the fact that that can uh, that can be what we uh, what we start to experience as we go through January, as we make these uh, decisions, and um, and hopefully set up for a better spring. Cool. When when are you uh, next back over? In about three weeks. <laughs> So, yeah. Is it that soon? Uh, beginning of February, but um, I'll be uh, I'll be down in London. So unless it coincides with an away game, um, I'll uh, I probably won't be at Hillsborough for uh, for a good couple of months. Okay. So um, I'll I'll be back for the recovery. What people don't know is that um, you um, on on New Year's Day I um, put a photo on Twitter of a pair of trainers that I was wearing to the game because I've run out of trainers to wear that we haven't lost while I've been wearing so far this season. Um, which incidentally I'm going to burn in the next few days. Uh, but while you've been over, you've been wearing um, a very fetching, I must say, um, Owls America's um, jacket, which is loosely based on the um, the team jacket that they wore in 1966. And um, you're going to have to burn that jacket, you know that. It it literally is going to be on a bonfire. If it ever stops raining in Sheffield, it'll it'll be burned before I get the train south tomorrow. Um, with apologies to uh, to Paul Owen, uh, who uh, who actually developed the prototype. But um, yeah, the prototype has, has proved itself to be highly unsuccessful, so we will retire it now. But it has generated a lot of interest, so uh, yeah. maybe the second generation jacket will be more successful. I think the finished product will be fine, and I'll definitely be ordering one. Um, but um, that particular prototype has. I don't know where it came from, but you know, somewhere along the line, something's been injected into that, which is, which is not good. <laughs> Maybe it's either the jacket or it's me, right? So uh, if if I leave the country and leave the jacket in the country, I'm going to be uh, damned. So I'll take it with me. Um, I'll burn it when I get back to New York okay. uh, in appropriate fashion for the uh, the customs and regulations. And um, yeah, maybe everything turns around next Friday. I mean, what a way to to pick up the recovery, right? To restart this fan base and to restart this club, than getting a result at Bramall Lane. That would be, um, yeah. I mean, we we are 
as a fan base, we are so reactionary, aren't we? And and, and we're all guilty of this. That you know, after losing three 0 at home to Burton, which is bad, it's kind of the end of the world. Man. So it's just it's one defeat. You know, you, you don't lose any more points for um, for who you lose against or anything like that. Um, so you know, maybe going to Bramall Lane and winning, as you say, is the is the the perfect antidote now, and that you know will we'll inject all the positivity we need. And as we've said. Today it's kind of it could be the start of a new era at Hillsborough. Um, what a great place to kind of start it. Why not? Ever optimistic, right? Happy clappers. Yes, happy clappers. James, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time over the last couple of weeks, um, and safe journey back home. Thank you, thank you. Look forward to to watching on iFollow and uh, with all the uh, lack of replays next week. <laughs> It's the 90th minute. You've got all your mates round. You've got your McNugget chair boxes coming down the left wing, ready to go. Your mate's already been booked for double dipping, and you steal the last nugget. Snatching all three points, back of the net. Lubosh! Automate delivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com for more information. See you later! Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.